Bulimia sucks, but you don't, and here's why. The Bulimia Sucks podcast with Kate Hudson Hall will teach you how to begin breaking through the multitude of thoughts, feelings, triggers, and urges to empower yourself to change your painful behaviors completely. You will hear proven strategies and solutions to help you in your recovery, including real interviews with real people. Kate has just released a new best-selling book called Anxiety Hacks with proven techniques, tools, and tips to calm this. Check it out now on Amazon. And now... Another episode of Bulimia Sucks, the podcast. Hello and welcome to Bulimia Sucks. Now I'm your host, Kate Hudson-Hall, and thank you so much for listening. Now this is a platform for people to share relatable, uplifting and inspiring conversations based on an eating disorder And episodes include talking to people struggling now with their eating disorder, sharing their personal stories and their difficult journeys, but their steps taken into their recovery and how they've done that. And then also to other people that have overcome eating disorders and to professionals that maybe haven't had an eating disorder, but work with people with eating disorders. Now I am very excited because my book, anxiety hacks is out and it is on amazon and the subtitle is techniques tools and tips to calmness so it's very exciting because i teach the techniques and all of these different tools and those are different tips that i have taught to thousands of my clients over the years so it's taking you from being constantly riddled with explosive anxiety to immediately feeling calm and relaxed because there's some amazing techniques in there that people should be using to be able to to really break those anxiety patterns and just such a multiple variety of different ways that you can do that so check out my book if you put anxiety hacks into amazon and you'll be able to find it so have a look now our fantastic guest today oh I say it I'm very excited (laughs) is Dr Megan Wilhite now Megan is a licensed clinical psychologist a certified eating disorder specialist and supervisor from the International Association of Eating Disorder Professionals now she was originally from Melbourne Australia and moved to the U.S. to play basketball before returning home to continue her basketball career and then in 2010 she relocated to LA where she earned a doctorate in clinical psychologist from Headline International University. Megan now lives in Denver where she runs Arcadia Healing and serves adults, adolescents, children and their families in their recovery journey. We want to hear how you do that, Megan. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Oh, gosh, yes. So how long have you been practicing? Oh, goodness. Um, Probably, well, I started graduate school in around 2010. So what is that? Oh my goodness. <laughs> 12 years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, about 12 years. Wow. That's yeah. a long time with a yeah. lot of knowledge. We want to hear it all, please. <laughs> <laughs> 
So um, now, where should we begin? So let's let's start at the beginning. So a question I do like to ask is: so if somebody is on thinking about taking that step onto the first rung of their recovery ladder, what would you what would you um, say to them that may guide them towards taking that first step, Megan? I mean, depending what that first step is, I think that obviously, you know, finding a good treatment team or realizing that you're not alone um, in in the struggle with an eating disorder, right? That many, many people struggle um, and that there is help. Um, I think that a lot of times people really struggle with eating disorders in, in private, right? Eating disorders really grow oh, yeah. power in secrecy um and so being able to you know reach out whether it's if it's not to a therapist at the beginning right because i know that can be really intimidating too that's a big step um but to a parent a loved one a partner a friend um to be able to kind of share and be vulnerable with someone um and make a little bit of space that's not just you and the eating disorder where you can kind of now share share some of that with somebody I think that that can be a really good first step because I know there's a lot of shame um, and anxiety with you know saying that even aloud even before you step into the therapy room yeah yeah I think that's a really important point isn't it it's just taking that small step and and talking to somebody that you truly trust Mm. to begin to to begin to break that pattern Yeah. And, you know, as I'm even saying that, I think that even that can feel like an enormous and it it is an enormous step. Um, But yeah. So even to just start also kind of looking into and getting information on right podcasts, books, you know, resources in the community where you can start to learn about maybe what you're struggling with um, even before that step, right. That, that sometimes that might feel a little less threatening, a little less overwhelming um, to just start kind of, empowering yourself and educating yourself on kind of what's going on yeah yeah that's excellent um and so if somebody came to see you um and they had decided you know this is their first sort of port of call what how would you take that forward well I think first when when anyone reaches out to me I I mean one of the most, if not the most important parts to success in treatment is finding a therapist that you really mesh with and you really trust and connect with. And I think um, therapist shopping can be really exhausting and really hard and intimidating, right? Where do I start? How do I connect? What questions am I allowed to ask? Um, And so to be able to kind of answer questions people have about the way that I work, um, about what kind of treatment for an eating disorder actually looks like and what would be kind of part of that journey, that those are the questions that you're allowed to ask when you're looking for a therapist, right? What's your style? How do you work? Um, So I think that feeling, again, empowered and confident to ask those questions and find what works for you in therapy is a a very good start. Um, I think once that happens, um, one of the things that I really like to challenge um, my folks to do is to start just being a little bit more aware of their environment, kind of 
what are you consuming? And what I mean by that is um, not, not food, but emotionally on social media, what am I surrounded with, you know, friends, family, what is the environment that I'm in that maybe is reinforcing some of these, you know, beliefs or behaviors um, or this drive to change my body or, you know, whatever it might be um, that, I think that can be a really eye-opening thing to see how immersed we all are kind of in diet culture and disordered behaviours. Um, it's celebrated in our society. And I think just taking that moment to say, okay, well, what's actually around me and what is helpful and then what is actually harmful? So what can I start to move away from? And then what do I need to lean a little bit more into in my environment? Because it's a challenging process. You're going to need support and you don't need additional barriers. Um, and I, I get the fantasy that wouldn't it be lovely if we could just kind of snap our fingers and, you know, be immune to the society and the diet culture that we live in. Um, that's not realistic, but I think being aware of that is really, really important. Yeah. And I think that's, that's, a, that's an excellent point because so many people are in a trance with their eating disorder. They're in there off in a sort of another world, whatever you like to call it. And by asking that, you know, asking yourself, well, hang on, what else, what, what is, what, you know, what is working here? What isn't working? <laughs> There's probably a long list of things that aren't working. Mm -hmm. um, and it's maybe by writing it down will make it, make it so much more conscious. Right. Right. I mean, even this awareness of, you know, we grow up in, you know, if I use the example of family culture, right, that maybe you're in a family that has, you know, been aligned with diet culture too, and that's just what you know. And so starting to observe that and like, oh, wow, you know, my siblings or my mum or my, you know, partner or whoever it might be, they're really in this as well, right, that that, that can be really eye-opening um, and intimidating, I think. Yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, another thing that I, I really like to do, and a, a supervisor of mine um, used this intervention, and I love it. It's called the three P's assignment, and the three P's stand for what does your eating disorder protect you from? What does it prevent? Uh, provide you with? And then what does it prevent you from? And I think the protect and provide gives us um, an ability to explore the function of the eating dis disorder, and that's kind of something you would do in the therapy as part of the therapy process. Um, but the what does it prevent you from, like you said, that there's this kind of dissociation or disconnection or even romanticizing, right? There's not really, it's not that bad or I'm not that sick or it's not really causing that much, you know, challenge in my life. But when you think about what does it prevent me from, what's important to me and what does it prevent me from, that's going to give you the motivation that you need in treatment, right? Is it that I'm a mom and I really feel I'm not able to really connect and engage with my kids or I want to set an example for them in terms of how they view their bodies or how their relationship with food is. Um, I mean, there's so many things that it can prevent you from um, that aren't always in your conscious awareness at the beginning. Yeah, yeah. And for people, you were mentioning about the function of, of, of bulimia or, or for an eating disorder. So what does that mean to you? How, and how do you work with people? Um, I mean, in terms of the function of the eating disorder, I think it can be, it, it is, it's different for everybody. So exploring that, I think that 
there's a notion or a lot of my clients, especially as we start to kind of practice the more behavioral parts of like interrupting behaviors, how do we ride out urges? How do we ride the wave out when distress comes? Right. Um, and this idea that we're taking away something that even though unhealthy provided something for you, right. That it helped you cope with something. Um, and it's not sustainable, right. Because it doesn't lead you to a place that's healthy and it's not a healthy behavior. Um, but we don't want to just take that away and then, okay, hold your breath and now just get through it. Just don't do that thing and just get through it. That's not, um, that's not going to be helpful. It's not going to be, um, be you got to replace it haven't you right replacing it with something that is more adaptive um, and I think that being able to understand what you're needing whether it's the feelings whether it's um, a trauma response I mean desire for control how do I ride that distress out in a way that is healthy for me and that's things like you were talking about with your book with um, managing anxiety or you know um working through trauma or being able to kind of regulate your emotions and, you know, ride some of those really strong urges out, um, you've got to replace it with something. And at the beginning, it doesn't always feel as effective as the eating disorder felt. And I think that that's a big piece of it too. It's like, well, why would I do this? It doesn't work as well. And that works. It's immediate, right? It's gone. That distress is gone. Um, and so I often tell people, hey, you, it's practice. You've got to keep practicing. It's not going to feel that way at the beginning. But I do think it's an important part of the process is like being able to understand that it's served a function in your life at some point. Um, and now, you know, what was that function and, and kind of exploring that with the patient? Absolutely. Absolutely. And find other ways to be able to deal with those difficult right. negative um, functions. Mm. 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 so what brought you down the pathway of um deciding that you were going to take this route of working with people with eating disorders you know I fell into it I was really lucky to find you know a passion that um pretty early in my career I had experience with eating disorders in in terms of like practicums and trainings and things like that um and then my first kind of real dive into eating disorders was my first job out of um, graduate school. I worked at a treatment center, the inpatient level, um, and it was a really eye-opening experience. And I really, really loved um, being able to support people um, who I really found I had a lot of similarities with. I think that folks in you know who struggle with eating disorders have a lot of these phenomenal qualities right this like desire for um or drive I guess and you know wanting to meet goals and you know um intelligent right and I think that there was something about being a part of a treatment team too and being in collaboration with a patient um in helping them work on it that was similar to me um, in terms of the relationships I developed in sports as well, right? Like we're all kind of working together to be able to kind of get to this goal. Um, and so, yeah, I just had such a fantastic experience uh, working inpatient um, and being able to see, I mean, the inpatient unit, you're working with folks who are really at the height of their eating disorders and the height of their distress. And so to be able to work with someone um, and see 
you know, how much they were struggling at the beginning and the admission and then, you know, a couple months later or whatever it might have been mm. to see them walk out as they step down in care as a completely different mm. person um, and Absolutely. feeling more yeah, empowered and more like themselves. Um, it was just so rewarding for me. And it, it was, that was it for me. I was, I was done. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, for me, the reason that I have uh, gone down this route is because of having an eating disorder myself for 15 years and, um, and uh, being able to help somebody that just even, uh, yeah, being able to help somebody is just so huge to mm. see that change for, for both of us, really. Um, yeah, it's incredible. Because it's such, um, it's such a, a dark time when you're buried in your mm. eating disorder. And to see small little tiny steps of people just beginning to open up and change is just, it's just phenomenal. Yeah, I mean, I feel so privileged. Um, I've worked in many different levels of care and the inpatient is where I started. And right now I'm in, in private practice working with outpatient folks. And some of them I've been working with for quite some time. And, you know, it's so rewarding over time to see where someone started and then the things that they have achieved, right? Whether it's, and things you've known from the beginning that they've always wanted, right? Whether it's a, a relationship or a deep connection or yeah. education or, you know, reconnecting with family members or partners or, you know, to be able to have a front row seat to that process is such an honor for me. And it's such a, a value of mine to be able to connect with people that way. Um, so I, I just think that, have the coolest job in the world <laughs> absolutely <laughs> absolutely um we did speak um briefly before about um that pathway that recovery pathway and the challenges that come with that the slip-ups or relapses because they are all part of the journey aren't they yeah, yeah, I think that, I mean, the, the, the saying is, and what I remind my patients is recovery is not linear. And I think because a lot of folks have that, um, that drive, that perfectionistic quality that they want to do it right. And they want to make sure that, you know, especially when they're on, in a rhythm of, you know, I'm feeling really good, I'm interrupting behaviors. Um, and then, you know, a stressful life event happens or COVID happens or, you know, or yeah. anything, right? It doesn't even have to be, um, you know, a huge event like COVID um, that, you know, slip-ups happen and that is part of the process. And I really try to remind people of that because it ebbs and flows. And, you know, each time you have a setback like that, you get practice and you get more information about what happened right absolutely you can learn from it yeah right um, and then you take it with you into the next stage of your treatment and recovery right and so it's it's I know a lot of people will will often say things like you know I just feel like I hadn't done this for x amount of years or months or whatever and now I'm just back at the start again um, and I really try to remind them that you're you're no way back at the start yeah. right that you you're just going to take this piece of information and use it to to keep going forward. Um, but I know that can be a lot of shame and frustration and um, it can be discouraging too. But yeah, that it is a normal part of that process. It's expected. Yeah, yeah, it's expected. Absolutely. And people need to hear that. That's really important. Um, 
Now, the other thing that we were talking about just briefly before is about um, having a teen. You have a teenager, a female teenager. And um, we were just we just touched on it briefly. um, And I think it would be good for us to talk about that, because what what advice would you give if, um, say, somebody had a had a teenager that um, was struggling with their eating patterns? yeah or not even a teenager they start very very young now yeah they it it is it it is um starting very young um I think advice to parents that I would give um is similar to what you know we were talking a little bit about at the beginning of how to take that first step um is just start to get some more information about it um and, and start to observe your responses to it right what comes up for us when our kids start to struggle in that way or their bodies start to change or they're going through puberty or what you know and what are we doing um what are we modeling I guess um and I I don't being a parent is very very hard it's very challenging I have three girls and I'm even in this field constantly aware of okay however I present that's what they're consuming. That's the the backdrop of. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that's so important for people to hear, for parents to hear, or, you know, even people in the future, if they have children, is that, you know, you've got to be really careful about how you talk about, you know, what you're eating, your body, all sorts around your children, because they're sponges and they'll just soak it up. Right. And it's very... um, covert right it's very subtle like things little comments that you you might not even remember you said right that that it's creating an attitude and a belief system towards food and body um you you know morality around food like the same things like I was so bad for eating that or that was naughty that I ate that or um you know I was good today because I ate a b and c right or I worked out um there's that's such a normalized comment in our society but the impact of that comment over time it creates a belief system and kids assign it to them and that's not to you know um assign blame to parents parenting is a hard enough job as it is right but how can we be more mindful when we do make comments like that right and then how do we kind of add in those protective factors of what other things are we doing are we praising our kids for their bodies and their abilities or are we praising them for more intrinsic internal qualities right how can we shift our language um, to support them in that way yeah yeah absolutely and so if somebody had you know um, a teenager that um, was struggling with their eating patterns. So what else would you say to them? Um, you know, what, what else would you say to the parents? So being aware of their language um, and how they're, you know, talking to their child or, or about themselves. Right. I mean, I think comments about body are, are never specifically, never helpful, right? That we don't need to comment about our kids' bodies, right? If someone, if your kiddo is saying, you know, I feel X, Y, and Z in a negative way about their body you can explore that with them don't be afraid to open that up like what you know where is that coming from why do you feel that way um it you know I think the tendency for a lot of parents um and people is to want to take pain away from their kids right so it might be well you know we'll do it together we'll go on more walks we'll do you know to start focusing on 
weight loss as the solution. Um, I think that that's a very, very kind of slippery slope and it's not ultimately helpful. Um, maybe kind of focusing a little bit more on um, health promoting behaviors like well, well what can we do together to help you feel better right like can we play a game can we connect more you know do you want to hang out with your friends right to be able to kind of support your child without um, assigning that as the issue right because the weight is not the issue or the changes are not the issue um, so that would be one one way that I would kind of suggest folks do it and, and also being mindful of how they're speaking about it. Um, but I also think to to observe your kiddo, right, that it can be one of those periods of time that, you know, are high risk for, for development of eating disorders. And so um, making sure they're eating consistently, making sure that they feel like they have freedom with food and access to food and um talk about kind of nutritious meals rather than healthy and not healthy right you want to eat something yes. nutritious um and i think too um you know a lot of parents say you know but all my kids eat is junk or they eat you know quote unquote junk um you know to be able to say okay we don't need to eliminate foods if you want them to you know have you know more nutritious foods let's add foods rather than take away foods I think that that's a, a good place to start around meals and getting support from you know a dietitian or someone who has that expertise in nutrition counseling yeah that's an excellent idea and it's hopping online and just beginning to you know to find information to be able to help you and mm. it's you know starting to have that knowledge of you know of how you're going to take this forward right and how to approach that loved one. You know, if you do think that they have an eating disorder, I know my poor mother, I put her through a very difficult time. <laughs> I was in denial for a very long time. Right. Yeah, but it was because of her and her, every once in a while she would approach me about my bulimia because I would hide it or try and hide it, but it was, it was too obvious. Um, and even though I would have none of it, she was gradually setting the seed mm. to the point of me one day saying okay let's go to the doctor right so even though you know if, if you've got a loved one that has an eating disorder but even though you know you may be rejected at that particular point it is it's kind of like setting a seed and, right and yeah. slowly over time that seed will sink in that makes a lot of sense right? yeah you're not going to go in immediately with that right that that might create some defensiveness and some withdrawal right but to be creating this opening and this space that you might not want to talk about it now you might slam the door in my face now but I'm going to keep at it and keep checking on you and keep giving you the space to so that when you're ready and you know when it's necessary you're able to kind of you know yeah. lean into that decision yeah and at that point you know before that it's it's a really good idea just to start to get open up and get some knowledge behind you mm -hmm. and some different avenues about how you could take it forward yeah 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 oh gosh so megan thank you so much for joining us so now how can people find you um um probably the best way to find me is through my website um it is acaciahealing.com or my instagram uh dr megan Wilhite. um 
yeah, that's I, I, I'm trying to do better to have a better social media presence. And and <laughs> that's my goal. I'm really going to push myself. It's not easy for me. So I'm, I'm really going to challenge myself this year to to do a little bit more work on the on social media. <laughs> Social media could use a little bit more positive, um, positive diet. Oh my god! Less place. Oh, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. I think the world would welcome your knowledge <laughs> on Instagram or wherever. <laughs> oh, excellent! Well, so and so, do you work vid- uh, virtually as well? I do. I am licensed in the state of Colorado. I see folks virtually and in person in Colorado. And then I'm also licensed in California and I see folks virtually um, uh, in California. And I work with kids and adolescents, families and adults. So um, I work with the, with the whole um, kind of anyone in that system, anyone who's struggling um, with an eating disorder or a loved one. Wow. Oh, Megan, thank you so much for joining us and and sharing your wealth of knowledge. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, thank you. (laughs) So that's all for today's episode of Bulimia Sucks. So thank you to everybody for listening. And before we go, make sure you subscribe to the podcast on Apple iTunes or Stitcher or Google Podcasts or wherever you may listen. And then make sure you show some love for your favourite podcast by leaving us a review. So thank you for listening. And I look forward to chatting with you in the next episode. Bulimia sucks, but you don't. Kate has just released a new best-selling book called Anxiety Hacks with proven techniques, tools, and tips to calmness. Check it out now on Amazon.